saw the movie Mandela last night. Has anyone seen it? It made me long, I've got to say, for something to be here at EV Youth. Now, there's a lot of stuff here at EV Youth to be encouraged by. And if you're pressing hard, this is not right. If you're pressing hard into living for Jesus, be encouraged because I'm thankful for God's work in your life. But I saw something in that movie that I long for more and more to be here, and I've struggled with how to express it. I think it's this ultimate commitment that actually affects your life. Now, we're all somewhere on that spectrum, but let me tell you where Nelson Mandela was. Here's a quote from the movie. Now, I'm not sure, by the way, how much of this is Hollywood, but I do know that he spent 27 years in prison backing up these words. Why should we obey their laws? We don't have a vote. This is not our government. They are having a party and we are not invited. So let's defy their unjust laws. What can they do? Throw us in prison? Let them. When we are all in prison, let them mind their own goats, clean their own houses, and wash their own clothes. Now, were those just words that he said? Well, if he didn't mean those, he shouldn't have said these to the judge who was going to decide whether he got the death sentence or not. My name is Nelson Mandela. I do not deny that I planned sabotage. I did not plan it in a spirit of recklessness, nor because I have any love for violence. The hard facts are that 50 years of non-violence had brought the African people nothing but more and more repressive legislation and fewer and fewer rights. Africans want a just share in the whole of South Africa. We want equal polity. One man, one vote, and I have dedicated my life to this struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination. I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a free, democratic society where all persons live together in harmony with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. They had a song called Asakitali. I can't say, I don't know how you say it, but Asakitali. Translation? We do not care if we go to prison. Ultimate commitment that actually affects your actions. Now, we're all somewhere on that spectrum, but that's where Mandela was. Why is it that Christians so often are not as good at helping the poor as those who are not Christians? It shouldn't be that way. This term in the pages of Luke, we've heard one big call from Jesus. Follow me. That's a big invitation Come and be part of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. It's free. You will live forever. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, not whoever earns it, not whoever does good things, whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And it's a big invitation to come and be part of the kingdom of heaven for free. But then right on the back of that, we saw a few weeks ago, you'll remember, Jesus laid out for us what that will cost you. Because, yeah, you're joining the kingdom and it's a free entry. And God says, I'll forgive all your sins, past, present, and future. And you don't need to clean your life up first. No, it's free entry. But if you're going to join my kingdom, Jesus says, you're going to have to stop ignoring the king. You'll need to obey me, not to earn it, 
not to pay for it, but simply because that's who he is. Simply because that's who your Savior is. And so we saw a few weeks ago, Christ, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's how total the claim that Christ makes on your life is. Ultimate commitment that actually affects all of your actions. And so brothers and sisters, let me just ask you, how are you going with that? Some of you, you're still working out whether you want to join the kingdom. And so tonight, listen in to learn what it will look like to join that kingdom. But if you have joined the kingdom, if you are trusting in Jesus, how are you going with that? Now, I'll tell you what sometimes gets me, because sometimes we're like, okay, I'm in. What do I do? And sometimes no one is telling us what it actually looks like, what it will mean practically. That's not how Jesus operated. Jesus gave the big ideas and the big calls and the practical stuff. In fact, that's what we've got in this chapter. Some practical ideas. Look at verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, he's speaking to his disciples and he's saying, this is what it will mean to be my disciple, my student, my follower. And so tonight, rather than trying to cover a whole lot of big ideas, we're just going to camp out on Jesus' practical teachings. Go really, really deep and ask the question, what does that look like? And my prayer is that that will forge a new ultimate commitment that leads to actually affecting your actions. So what's the first thing that Jesus has to say in here? In verse 1, he says, expect temptation. Have a look at verse number 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Now, things that cause people to stumble, you all know that, that feeling of stumbling, of tripping up. Um, it seems to happen to me quite a lot. Um, you know, you only got one thing on your mind. Get this cup of tea to that table, okay? And out of nowhere, there's a dog. You kick the dog, you chip over, tea goes everywhere. Is that, is that just me? I don't think that's just me. I think we, we all know the experience of tripping and stumbling, sometimes some of us more than other people. Jesus is talking about tripping or stumbling spiritually, as you try to obey Jesus, things are going to come that could cause you to stumble. Now, there's probably two aspects of that, temptations to sin and temptations even to fall away from Jesus altogether. And Jesus says these things are bound to come. It's certain, it's like if you leave milk in your car, it is certain to go off, then become yogurt, then become cheese, and then you will take it out of your car. Well, that's what it happens to me. It's bound to happen like milk is bound to go off. Temptation is going to come. That's Jesus' first teaching. Now, what do we do with that? It seems, I reckon, pretty obvious. Expect temptation. It seems obvious, except that my experience says that we don't actually expect it. Tell me if this is your experience. You're traveling along, and then bam, you sin. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Does that... Is that your experience? Are there any dog owners here? Anyone? Fools. Uh, You guys know this. When you own a dog, you are always looking at the ground. Now, why is that? You're always looking out for poo. You don't even realize it. It's so deep, it's automatic, it's subconscious. But you have learned that if you don't want to walk in poo, you've got to look at the ground. We used to have these friends come and visit us from Sydney. Every time they came, it was so predictable. They were going to tread in poop. We might as well have like put on the invitation, come over to a house, you can tread in some poo. Because when you know there's poo, like we never trod in the poo. Why? Because we knew it was there. When you know there's poo around 
And I don't just mean know it in your head, like, yeah, there's poo, but you like really believe this. This is true. There's poo around. When you know that, you're watching where you're going. Even if eventually that becomes automatic to you, you're, you're actually active about it. You're actually looking where you're going. Now, this temptation is something that we know in our heads. Temptation is going to come. But have you let that filter down? Has it become true to you? Not just something you understand, but something that you believe. Temptations to sin are sure to come, Jesus says. And you'll know that you believe it if you're looking out for it. You'll know you're looking out for it when you become aware of the process, the feeling of temptation. I don't mean the actual thing of sin. I mean the whole process leading up to that. That's temptation. If you're a person tonight that most of the time sin takes you by surprise, so you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Then you weren't paying attention. You weren't expecting temptation. Because if you expect temptation, you'll become aware that there's a feeling and a process that's involved. And if you're not noticing that process, you've got to start to expect temptation and pay attention. That's actually what Jesus says in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, So watch yourselves. Jesus is saying to you something very practical tonight. He's saying, pay attention to yourselves. Actually, we've got to be careful here, I think. Because some of you guys, me included, watch yourselves too much. You look at the mirror too closely. You're always comparing yourself. Not only physically or socially, though it can be those things. It can even be spiritual. And I think I tend to fall into this category. Now, the fruit, the results of watching yourselves too closely are this. I'm always noticing what I'm doing. So I'm very self-conscious. It makes it hard for me to love others because I'm always on my own mind. It's hard for me to love God when my head is already full of myself. And it's just, it's just a discouraging place to be. And so if your natural tendency is to lean that way, which mine is, you need actually to look at Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the solution. He's the center. He's the perfect one. He's the powerful one. And he says... You're mine. I accept you. I love you. So that's the source of our identity. Look to Jesus for your source of joy. Look to Jesus for your peace of mind. Look to Jesus for your confidence. Forget about yourself and let him point you to others. So some of you actually watch yourselves too much. But with our eyes fixed on Jesus and with that danger in mind, Jesus says here, watch yourself. Pay attention to what's happening. Why is that? Because temptations are sure to come. Now, let me give you three questions that will help you to watch yourself. Number one, is my love for Jesus growing or shrinking? Because it actually doesn't matter what else you're doing in your life. If you're not growing here, the wheels will eventually fall off. Number two, what are my motives in this? Because I don't know if you've realized this, but we lie to ourselves. And so we've got to learn to catch ourselves lying. We've got to ask ourselves and be as honest as we can, what are my motives in this? Number three, what bad habits am I developing that are hurting my spiritual life? Now, I want to give you an example of this from my own life. This happens regularly to me. I come home tired I don't know if you know that feeling at the end of the day when 
you probably should go to bed, but you're just not ready for the day to end. You know that feeling? Without fail, this genius idea comes to me. I'll just check Facebook quickly. Three hours later, I now know that the hoverboard story is fake, and I've watched enough cat videos that it should be illegal. And the later it gets in the night, the tighter I get, the worse decisions I make. I end up looking at websites I shouldn't look at. The next day, I'm tired. I can't focus on my Bible reading. I get irritated with people. I run out of self-control. Now, that's a scientifically recognized thing, actually. If you struggle with self-control, get more sleep. But it's a vicious cycle. You can't because you've got no self-control. Because your self-control's shot, the whole day I waste time, I fall into sins. Those sins make me feel guilty, which make me not want to pray, which makes me not want to read my Bible, which is ridiculous because God's forgiveness hasn't changed and actually he'd love for me to open my Bible and to pray. And it's all because I decided to open my laptop instead of brush my teeth. I think that's why Jesus says, watch yourself, because it's so subtle we think our actions are all isolated, but they're not. They're connected, and each one affects the rest of your life. Which means you want to be asking yourself this. What bad habits am I developing that are hurting my spiritual life? How can I break those habits? And sometimes there's a simple decision somewhere that will affect decisions here and here and here. Sometimes there's an easy decision to make that you could have made differently that would have avoided you having to make some of the harder decisions later on. It's a lot easier not to go to your boyfriend's house when their parents aren't home than to be self-controlled in that situation. It's a lot easier for some of you to just not go to that party than to go there and try not to get drinks put in your hand. And so, so Jesus says here, watch yourself. You need to spot these patterns and, and see these sins in your life before they take root. You've got to get an understanding of how you work. The Bible says... in I think it's Jeremiah or Ezekiel somewhere. It says it, uh, that the heart is deceitful above all things. You're always lying to yourself, justifying things. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, you need to be as innocent as doves and as shrewd as snakes, as wise as snakes. Be shrewd, be cunning, know the way that you work, know the way that sin works in your life so that you can fight it. Now, why is that? It's because Jesus says in verse 1, expect temptation. There's dog poo everywhere. Watch yourself. And so guys, have you paid attention to the experience of temptation? Or does sin take you by surprise? I wonder if you'll actually do that with me for a second. Let's pay a bit of attention to that process of temptation so we're better equipped to fight it. Here's what happens when you get tempted. Number one, you desire. I want pleasure. I want rest. I want fun. I want something shiny. I want something soft. Whatever it is, there's something that you want, a need that you you want to feel, you desire. Number two, you doubt. You doubt that God is enough for you. You doubt that his way is the best way to find ultimate joy and satisfaction. The gospel says God is enough for you. His commands are not there to stop you having fun, but to stop you hurting yourself and other people. His way is the path to life. He's not holding anything back from you. If you really believe that, you wouldn't find sin very tempting. But what happens is you doubt. You doubt that God is enough. Yeah, God, you love me, but right now I need this other thing to fill me. You doubt that God's way is the best way. Yeah, God, I know you designed life and I know you know the best way to live, but I don't think you really know what's best for me in this situation. 
What's best for me is if I click that link or steal that thing or indulge in this gossip or tell this lie. What's best is if I ignore that person or if I complain about this situation. So step two is we doubt. Step three, you ignore. Your conscience is going off like a smoke alarm. Your friends are warning you. The scriptures are warning you. But you ignore. Number four, you justify. You start to give yourself reasons why it's okay, why it'll be worth it, why it doesn't matter as much as your screaming conscience says it will. In other words, you start to tell yourself lies. And don't be ignorant that Satan's involved in this. He is. And so, guys, you can see how actually if you regularly give in to temptation, it actually distorts your thinking, which is how our society has ended up where it is, where we think it's okay to abort babies and sleep with whoever you want, and that's just what everyone wants to believe. I've found that you can actually become pretty good at lying to yourself. And that's a scary place to be. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, uh, it talks about these people whose consciences have been seared like with a hot iron. It's like getting a burn or like a callus on your hand and it gets less sensitive. So you find it easier and easier to sin. Your conscience gets dulled. Your compass of what's right and wrong gets confused and bent out of shape. Which tells us, guys, that there's actually no such thing as an insignificant sin. Because every time you give in to temptation, you're actually dulling your conscience. Which is why there's an old dead guy called John Owen. That's not why there's a dead guy called John Owen, but there's why he says this. He's talking about killing sin. He says, make it your daily work. Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Because we justify. And lastly, number five, you do. And I don't really think that needs much explaining. Now, do you guys find the scary thing about all this is steps one to four happen like that? Oh, they're just over so quickly, you don't even notice them? I think Jesus is saying, notice it. Temptations are sure to come, so watch yourself. And so if you're like me, you're like, okay, that's very good, but what do you do about it? I'll give you four things. Number one, remember. There are three things you've got to remember. Number one, remember the gospel. The gospel is not try harder and it's not do better. It's this. Because of what Jesus has done, you are loved. You are accepted. You are forgiven. You are redeemed if you're in Jesus. In fact, I know some of you guys, you might be here for the first time and you're thinking, I knew it. I knew Christianity was just about sin and temptation and saying no to stuff. No, you've come on the one night where we chose to dwell on this verse. It's not about sin. It's not all about what you can't do. In fact, it's ultimately not about what you do at all. It's about what Jesus has done. He offers to give you forgiveness and eternal life. And guys, remembering that is the key to fighting from joy, not fighting from guilt. Because guilt never makes you want to fight. Joy makes you want to fight. So the biggest battle of the Christian life is believing the gospel. So as you fight, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Go there time and time again. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. I mean, the whole chapter is full of the gospel, but it says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Number two, you've got to... Remember your identity. And remembering the gospel helps you get your identity right. I don't know if you realize this, but your identity is profoundly influential in shaping the way that you act. 
So if you see yourself as a nerd, you wear nerdy stuff, you do nerdy stuff. If you see yourself primarily as a a failure, you won't try, you'll fail. In in a lot of ways, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And don't underestimate the impact that has on your spiritual life. If you think I'm a dirty girl, so I'll do dirty things. No, you're not. If you're a Christian, you're not just a sinner, so don't just give up and sin. But also, you're not just a saint, so don't get heaps discouraged when you sin. Don't be, don't be overly surprised. In fact, you're not a sinner, you're not just a saint, you are redeemed, which means you were a sinner, but God has made you a saint. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're not just a sinner, you're not just a saint, you're a redeemed new creation. So live like that. Remember the gospel, remember your identity, and third, remember that it is possible to fight temptation. I want you to turn with me to this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And if at all possible, with your fingernail or a pen or blood, whatever, underline this one. One Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen. No temptation that will wait for you. Sorry. <laughs> Good to see you guys bringing your Bibles. That's awesome. No temptation, Paul says, has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. In other words, we're all going through this. Keep reading. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What's that saying? It is possible to fight temptation. God has provided a way. And the power to resist temptation comes from the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. God himself living in you, helping you to fight. And so one of the most helpful things that an older Christian ever said to me about a sin that I was addicted to at the time, he said, you know you don't have to do that, don't you? You know that you can resist, don't you? So remember the gospel, remember your identity, and remember that it's possible to say no. That's step number one, remember. Step number two, look out for temptation. I looked up the steps to recovery from Alcoholics Anonymous, And the first step is remembering that there's a problem, admitting that there's a problem. Be aware of it. Look out for it. How are you going to resist temptation if you never notice it? You've got to to look out for it. And when you see it, you've got to call it for what it is. This is temptation. This isn't sin, necessarily. That's helpful to remember, because sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking that the instant I get tempted, well, I've already stuffed it, I've sinned, I might as well go through with it which isn't true, and actually at any stage in the process, it's better to bail than to keep going. So step number two, look out for it. Step number three, fight, I'll put there, or flight. Does anyone here like to scare people? Yes, he likes to scare people. Watch out for that man. I like to scare people. I'm banned by some of my friends. Dale, if any of you know Dale, he will go to almost any lengths to scare people, He once knew that I was going to go into a room and went into that room and waited, but I didn't come in for 10 minutes. Did he give up? No, he really wanted to scare me. 
Now, when you scare people, there are two reactions that you get, except my sister. She drops to the ground, which I think is a very dumb response. It's like, oh, there's a danger. I'm going to have a nap. No. (laughs) Better responses are one of two things. If you scare someone, either they attack you or they run away. Is that not the case? You might have heard of fight or flight. That's what I'm talking about. And here's what I want you to think when a temptation comes up. Fight or flight. Let's talk about how to fight. Number one, pray for help by the Holy Spirit. Number two, get the truth into you. Now, why does that help? Because remember, one of the things in the process is you're doubting. You're doubting that God is enough or that his way is the path to the fullest kind of life. Work out what lies you're believing that makes this attractive to you and use the Bible to remind yourself of the truth. Now, will you always be able to get your Bible out? Someone's annoying you at work. Hold on a second. Where were we? No, you can't do that. So what you might need to do is memorize some verses, look up some verses in advance that you know help with the things that you're going through. Memorize them so that when you get in that situation, you can use the truth, get the truth into you. You might want to write them on your hand. You might want to stick a post-it note over your speedo. You don't use it anyway. You might want to write it on your phone screen. Whatever it takes, get the truth into you. Number three, resist. Resist temptation. Don't do it. Or do do it if you're tempted to not do something you should do. Fourth, phone a friend. Because Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Text, Facebook, call if you know how to do that. Um, you can even go over to their house. Whatever, whatever way. Dude, I'm, just, I'm really struggling with this temptation. And I'll say, let me pray for you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm a sinner too. Let me hold you accountable. I'll ask you about this tomorrow. I'll ask you next week how you went. Just on that, let me say, be careful not to turn your Christian friendships into guilt groups or therapy sessions. Rather than that, remind each other of the gospel. Don't, don't obey for your mates. Get your mates to point you to Jesus and obey for him. And remember to ask questions that encourage each other as well. Like, what are you loving about being a Christian lately? So that you're encouraging each other, not just beating each other up. But there you go. How do you fight? Pray, truth, resist, phone a friend. That's fight. But sometimes you've got to use flight. you just got to get out of the situation. You've got to leave the movie theater. One of my mates cut his internet cable, literally with scissors. And yes, the internet used to come in cables. Don't go to those shops if they lead you to greed. Throw out the magazines. Delete that software. Install filtering software. If you struggle with jealousy and you go to the gym and you know that's a place you struggle, cut up your membership card. Sometimes flight is better than fight. And it's worth it, yeah? So remember, that's step one. Look, fight or flight. And number four, hold on. In other words, don't do it. By faith and prayer, don't give in. Now, some of you guys are aware we read 10 verses before, and I've only talked about two of them. And some of you are panicking. You're like, how long is this going to go? Well, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> we won't, but I would love to keep going. I'll say a brief thing about this next bit because I want to get into it. How Jesus says, after warning us that the temptations are coming, here's what he says in verse 1 and 2. You might need to flick back there. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, 
But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus is saying, don't cause temptation to other people. In other words, watch out. Or you might recommend movies that will expose your mates to temptation. Watch out. Or you might bring up topics in conversation that will lead your friends to gossip or judge or complain. Don't boast and brag about what you've got and cause your friends to be jealous. Be careful about what you wear, girls and guys. If you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, be careful not to cause them to stumble. That's not loving them. And certainly don't do anything that could lead your friend or anyone else to give up on Jesus. Instead of that, make it your aim to do good and love and serve and point people to Jesus. Guys, I'm I'm actually pretty excited about all this. I reckon I've been missing this aspect of Christian life for a pretty long time, the reality of temptation. And I'm really excited, actually, to see us together encouraging each other, supporting each other to become more and more aware of the ways that sin would entangle us and lure us, becoming wiser and better at fighting temptation so that we individually and as a youth group will be more Christ-like and bring more honor to God. Two more things I want to say on this point. Number one, if you're a Christian and you've been losing the battle against temptation lately, don't despair. God is not grumpy with you. If your trust is in Jesus to save you and you've genuinely turned to follow him as your saviour, then don't beat yourself up with guilt. Know that you are forgiven and know that Christ now calls you to keep fighting. Number two, if tonight you know that you're not a Christian or you're not sure, the important thing for you is not that you start fighting temptation. It's that you come to Jesus for salvation. Jesus, please be my saviour. Forgive my sins. Please be my king and please give me your Holy Spirit to help me in this fight. And then turn from your sin, trust the saviour and get busy in this fight. Guys, it is a good fight. It has the best of commanders, Jesus. It has the best of helpers, God's Holy Spirit. It has the best promises for every situation and every temptation. That God's way is the path to life in its fullest. It is a good fight because it'll do you good, not the harm that Satan wants to do to you. And it's a good fight because it will do good to the world. The Christians who impact this world for God are those that fight temptation. Finally, it's a good fight because the reward is good. Who in this room can estimate the good things that Christ has stored up for those who fight temptation? Brothers and sisters, expect temptation. Jesus' teaching seems obvious here, but what a difference it would make to my life, to your life, if we paid attention. It would lead to lives of ultimate commitment that actually affect your actions. Let's pray that that happens. Thank you, Jesus, for your warning here. Father, we pray, please, that we would hear it, that it would change our actions, that we might honor you with the way that we live our lives. As we resist temptation, watch ourselves. Look out for each other. Thank you for your forgiveness. And we pray that we would fight from joy, not from guilt. In Jesus' name, amen.